This is recording number 10988 from the teaching ministry of Crossroads Community Church in Fairfield, California. It was recorded on Sunday morning, May 20, 2012. This is the first message in a study of the Bible's book of Hebrews. This message by Randy Bolt is titled, The Way of the Sun. We're going to begin a new series of messages today that it's going to take us through most of the summer. We're going to study the book of Hebrews. Now, in Hebrews chapter 10, you don't need to turn there, I'll do it for you. I need you in the first chapter, but in, in the 10th chapter of the book of Hebrews is a, a passage that, um, that uh, gives us what I believe to be the uh, kind of the theme verses of this book. Verse 19 says, Therefore, brethren, having boldness to enter the holiest by the blood of Jesus, by a new and living way, which he consecrated for us through the veil, that is his flesh, and having a high priest over the house of God, let us draw near with a true heart, in full assurance of faith, having our hearts sprinkled from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water. I love verse 20 where it says, it, it describes what the Son of God has done as paving a new and living way. And so that's going to be our theme as we make our way through this book over the next few weeks. And, and today we're going to be talking about how Jesus, or how um, this new and living way is, is the way of the Son. S-O-N, Son of God. It is the way of the Son. Now the book of Hebrews is a rich, rich, rich treasure trove and I am looking forward to beginning this study with you today. So we're going to start reading at verse 1. Hebrews chapter 1, verse 1. God. you got to love any book that starts with that word, don't you? God, who at various times and in various ways spoke in time past to the fathers by the prophets. He's talking about, when he talks about the fathers here, he's talking about the fathers of the Hebrew faith, the Jews. Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, etc., we don't really know to whom this book was written, but we do know that it was written to uh, Jews, and, and it may have been just in general the Jewish people, or it may have been more specifically to Jewish converts, because you know the first Christians were Jews. And uh, the writer of the book of Hebrews uh, takes a lot of time to bring to bear Old Testament scripture, the ones that were, the, the, the scriptures that were so precious to the Hebrew people. You know, because the Jews, uh, at least in that time, revered the, uh, the Old Testament scriptures so much, they all, it was almost um, as though they worshipped the scriptures. I said almost. But the writer of the book of Hebrews takes these uh, the words of the prophets, and that's what he's indicating here in chapter 1, that have spoken to the Jewish people in times past. And he uses those passages to illuminate 
uh, what Jesus came to do, to underscore, to highlight, to support the ministry of Jesus in saving us, not undoing the Old Testament, not undoing the Old Covenant, but fulfilling it. So when he says here, in times past, God has spoken to the fathers by the prophets, that's what he's referring to. Then verse 2, that God has in these last days spoken to us by his Son, whom he has appointed heir of all things, through whom also he made the world's who being the brightness of his glory and the express image of his person and upholding all things by the word of his power, when he had by himself purged our sins, sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high, having become so much better than the angels as he has by inheritance obtained a more excellent name than they. The balance of chapter 1 is what I described earlier. The, the writer of the book of Hebrews taking Old Testament scriptures to to support what he has just said. So we're going to focus on the first four verses. And there's two main... If if you took those first four verses and and, uh, broke them down into two uh, main subheadings, they would be his description and his declaration. Now, now, let me just kind of rework this for a minute so you get the flow of what I'm talking about. God, who at various times and in various ways spoke in time past to the fathers by the prophets, has in these last days spoken to us by his Son. Now look to the middle of verse 3. When he by himself purged our sins, sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high, having become so much better than the angels, uh, as he has by inheritance obtained a more excellent name than they. When, you, when we put the, the passage together that way, you see that uh, the writer here is saying, God has spoken, and here's what he said. In between there is a description of the Son. So we're going to look at both things. The description of the Son found in, in, uh, the, from the middle of verse 2 to the middle of verse 3. We're going to look at that first. Who is this one, the Son? And then we're going to talk about what God was saying to us through the Son. Okay? So let's take it first. Uh, the, the description. His description. It says that he, verse uh, 2 says, he has appoint, he was, the Son of God was appointed heir of all things. Heir of all things. That means he has inherited everything. Now, I hear that and, I, and a question comes to my mind. And by the way, I think it, it'd be, uh, it, it's worthy for you to, when you read the scriptures, to keep your thinking cap on. I, I think God gave us a brain for a reason. And I think that's wise to ask questions as you make your way through the scriptures because the Lord loves to answer them. So I see this. He's the heir of all things. And then I think about the gospel of John chapter 1 where it says that nothing was made that he didn't make. The word of God, the son of God, was the agent of creation. So how can he be both the one who created all things and the one who inherited all things? I'll tell you. Having created everything, having set in order all things and having created this world and placed mankind in it, something went horribly wrong. Sin. 
Now before that, God had granted to, get this, God had granted to Adam dominion. We tend to shortchange what that means on this side of things because we, 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 all we see is the fallout of sin, the, the diminishing of, of everything that sin has wrought. So we don't really know what it means that God gave mankind, God gave Adam dominion. But when God gave Adam dominion, he gave him dominion. There's no qualification on that word. That means if he needed more rain in one part of Eden, he could say more rain. We have an example of that. Jesus, the second Adam, the Bible says, when the storm was raging on the waters, he said, stop it. And it did. So there was dominion given to Adam and Eve that was lost because of sin. And God was unwilling to leave us in that fallen state. So he sent Jesus to pay the penalty for our sin, and we'll talk more about that later, but to recover inheritance. So not only was he the one who created all things, he's the one who, by his sacrifice, received the resumption of that inheritance. And the Bible says that you and I are joint heirs with Christ. Let that settle in on your soul for a minute. Those of us who have come to faith in Jesus are joint heirs with Christ. Now an heir... An inheritor, an heir, is given the inheritance and he has the authority to do whatever he wants with that inheritance. A joint heir is different. A joint heir shares in that inheritance. I'll take it, thank you. You and I have been made joint heirs with Christ. The one who is the inheritor of all things goes on to say that uh, through him also he made the worlds. Now the original word in the Greek language, which was the, the language that of the New Testament when it was written, is more accurately uh, translated ages. He's the maker of the ages. Let me catch up with my slides here. I've already said that he's the heir of all things and we're looking at now this description of Jesus, the Son, that says He is the maker of the ages. You see, God is not bound by time. He dwells outside of time. The ticking of a clock is meaningless to Him. <laughs> not the same for you and me, is it? <laughs> God set in motion and created all of the things that make time what it is. There is... 60, there is 60 minute, seconds to a minute, 60 minutes to an hour, 24 hours in a day, seven days in a week. That's, there's nothing any of us can do anything about that. You cannot squeeze one more second out of the clock. You've already tried that, haven't you? <laughs> Doesn't work. So God set in motion all of the things that create that timetable. And so he understands it, and he works with us within it, but he is not bound by it. Let me tell you why that is so exciting. Have you ever 
done something or said something you regret? Is there anything you wish you could take back or do over? We can't because we're bound by time. But he is not. He is not. Grace works backwards. You've heard me say this before. And we have a God who can reach back and gather up all of the debris of our stuff. Things we wish we hadn't done. Things we wish we hadn't said. And draw that into, by his amazing grace, his plans for our future and our present. You know, I, I, it's, it's, hard, it's hard to explain. It's even harder to grasp the magnitude of what that means. But all of the stuff that you're ashamed of, when you come to Jesus receiving his amazing grace, it's not as though, you know, it didn't happen. It's not as though in some twisted way God takes something that you did that was bad and and makes it good. But it does become the path that led you to him. It does become the background of what you will eventually offer in terms of ministry too. Because of the trail that the Lord begins to lead you by out of that stuff, you get, to, you get to blaze for other people. You know, I'll tell you, probably 90% of the ministry that I have to offer people is saying, here's what I did, don't do that. But it's so much more than that. It's so much more than that. This God of ours, this Son of God, is the maker of the ages. You can trust him with your past, your present, and your future, because they're all the same to him. Goes on to say, verse 3, who being the brightness of his glory... The brightness of God's glory. My goodness, what is glory? How do you describe that? The best thing I can say, the best definition of glory that I've ever encountered is this. Glory is the divine word for beauty. Now, how do you describe beauty? (laughs) Now, we might, now, bear with me here, but we might have, a woman stand up here. Certainly wouldn't be a man, but we would stand a woman up here and say, oh, this is a beautiful woman. Well, why? Well, because she has this, this, and that. Well, it's not the this, this, and that that makes that woman beautiful. It really isn't. You put those things on me, you have a monster. <laughs> right? Be- Beauty is hard to describe, hard to define. So how do you define the beauty of God? Which 
anything that we consider beautiful in this world is only a tarnished reflection of, tarnished by sin, I mean. So the Bible uses this word, glory, and it says that the Son of God is the brightness of his glory. None of us have ever really seen the sun. You couldn't. You can't, you can't uh, look directly at the sun. Um, I mean, this, I'm talking about the ones you know, giving light to our solar system, that one, S-U-N. But all around us, we see its glory, the brightness of it. Jesus is that brightness of the glory of God. And he's more than that because it goes on and says, not only is he the brightness of his glory, he's the express image of his person. None of us have ever seen God either, but Jesus said, you want to know what God is like? Look at me. Earlier today when we were praying for the sick, Jesus said, you want to know what God is like? Watch me while I heal sick people. In Jesus, we have everything that we need to know about God. Colossians chapter 2, verses 9 and 10. Well, they say this. For in him dwells all the fullness of the Godhead bodily. And you are complete in him who is the head of all principality and power. In him dwells the fullness of the Godhead bodily. Goes on to say that he is the upholder of all things. He upholds all things. Have you ever considered the vastness of this universe? I'm sure you have at times. You see images come back from the, from the um, what you call it, the space telescope. What is that thing? Hubble, yeah. You, you uh, learn about the, the micro world and the, the, par the particles we can't see, but we know that they're, they're so small we can't see them by any form of man, ma uh, magnification, but we know they're there because of the impact they have on other things. I mean, just, it's, uh, it's just amazing. Too much to behold. The sun... Of God is the one that holds all that together. All this stuff that's spinning around in the, in the universe. Or universes sometimes they talk about. Blows my mind. The Bible says the son of God is the one who orchestrates this grand symphony. What a description. What a description of our Savior. Now having described this one, the writer of the book of Hebrews tells us, this is what God was saying to you through the Son. So we're going to pick it up in the middle of verse 3. When he had by himself purged our sins, sat down, at the right hand of the majesty on high. Now those, those don't, those sound like actions, don't they? 
They don't sound like words. I mean, if, if this is what God was saying to us through the Son, they don't sound like statements. They sound like actions. But how many of you know our actions speak louder than our words? When I am talking to Sue like this, and I'm saying, oh dear, I love you so much. I am so happy that I'm married to you. <laughs> she's hearing nothing I'm saying because she's listening to what I'm saying. Right? We all have different forms of nonverbal communication and the truth is, no matter what your lips are saying, it's what you're doing that we hear. So when it says here that the these things about the Son of God having himself purged our sins and then sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high. It's telling us what God was saying to us through the Son. And here it is. Two very simple things, but so profound. Sin is cleansed. He purged our sin. I don't know about you, but I struggle with that sometimes. I'll just admit it. I go, now that can't be true. That cannot be true. The reason I struggle with it is because in this, in, in, in all of the relationships in my life, there's always some residue of record of the wrongs I have done. I have the dearest woman in my life in all the world, and she is so gracious to forgive me. I, it was, it's, you know, she started on the day of our, I don't know if these were in our vows, but I know, I know this was in her heart. <laughs> she stood be, with me before that minister on the day of our marriage. She, in her mind, was thinking, I forgive him in advance. And I'm so grateful for that. But as lavish a love as she extends to me and as free with forgiveness as she is with me, there is not a way for her to expunge the record. And it's there somewhere. She chooses not to remember it, not to think about it, but it's there. That is not the case with our God. The Bible says he has separated my sin from me as far as the east is from the west. And when does the west stop being the west and the east stop being the east? It doesn't. It goes on forever. It says he has chosen. This one who is God and knows everything that can be known, he has chosen to forget my sin. Maybe you've had this experience. There have been times when I've come before the Lord and I'm feeling this sense of shame and guilt in his presence. And I will say something, oh Lord, I'm so, so sorry. Now it's right that I'm sorry. It is absolutely, it would not be right for me to come stomping into the presence of God with, mood, uh, with the mud on my boots and say, hey buddy, how you doing? It would not be right. 
But I've had this happen to me more than once when I'm there in that place of, Lord, I'm, I'm so sorry. And I'll hear him whisper into my soul, sorry for what? Dear ones, sin is cleansed. Not just past, but present and future too. Sin is covered. The issue of sin has been resolved for all of us who have received this gift of grace, this gift of salvation through the blood of Jesus Christ. When we put our faith in him as our savior, the slate was cleaned and broken. Can no longer record anything. Done. That's what Jesus meant from the cross when he said, it is finished. The second thing our God was saying through the Son was when it says here, he sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high. The work is complete. There's nothing more that needs to be done. Now, I, I actually have had people say to me, this is the God honest truth. I've had people say to me that this twisted, they have this twisted notion that when God rested on the seventh day of creation, it was because he was tired. <laughs> what? <laughs> Come on. No, he rested on the seventh day because he was done. And it was all good. There was nothing left to finish. It was done. The same is true for our salvation, dear ones. And don't, don't keep trying to earn it. Don't keep trying to add to it. Don't keep trying to make yourself worthy. The work is complete. You can't, there's nothing you can add to it. Romans 8 verse 1 says, There is therefore, remember, whenever you read that word therefore, you ask yourself, what's the therefore, therefore? There is therefore. The therefore is there for the fact that Jesus died for our sins and rose from the grave. So therefore, there is therefore now no condemnation to those who are in Christ. In Ephesians chapter 2 verses 8 and 9 say that it's by grace we have been saved through faith. And that's not even of ourselves. It's a gift from God. He did all the work. There's nothing more that you could add to it. And dear ones, right now would be a good time to stop and thank him for that. Go ahead right now. Thank him for that. This one who is the heir of all things has brought us into an alliance with him whereby we are joint heirs. This one who is the maker of the ages 
is the one who can gather up all of the, de- the, de- the debris of your past and weave it into his grace for your life. This one who is the brightness of God's glory can illuminate your path, warm your heart, and bring healing to you. Just as this, the, you know, there's, I forgot to mention this earlier, but the, the light of the sun, the S-U-N, that uh, touches my skin um, adds nutrients, vitamins to me that are essential for life. Just being exposed to the light brings healing to me. The one who is the brightness of God's glory will heal you. The one who is the express image of God is the one who daily, moment by moment, reveals the love of God to you in all of his splendor and power. The one who's the upholder of all things can be... Tra- <laughs> if, he, if he can keep all of that stuff spinning out there in the vast universe, you can trust him with your stuff. And he is speaking to you today. Your sin is covered. All the work is done.